0: This episode of the React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In person, hands on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the React Podcast. I am your host, Michael Jackson. And today I have a very special guest with me, Mr. Evis Van Horn. Hey, It's super cool
1: to be here. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. So people who are listening might know Evis from such uh, famous Twitter accounts as twitter.com slash CompuEvis or or github.com/compuevis that's uh, that's kind of your your handle that uh, that he that he is known by online and uh evis is best known for creating something called code sandbox so even if you don't know the person you've definitely heard of of this really cool product that he's built uh, codesandbox.io which is uh, essentially an online code editor uh, but it does a lot of really cool things in in a lot of kind of uh, cool novel ways. But anyway, we'll get into to talking about uh, code sandbox soon enough. I just wanted to start by asking Evis, uh a little bit about your you know ba- your background and maybe your education. It's my understanding that. Um, you are still attending university, but you're working on code sandbox full time. Is that right? Yeah,
1: that's true. When I finished high school, I immediately started working for a company called Katawiki. Um, I built a portfolio and just applied there and I worked there full time for a year, but then I had to go to university, um, Katowice just said to me, you have to go. So, I went. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's pretty cool that I did that because most people that start working uh, don't want to stop working and they just want to continue what they do. But they actually forced me to go to university in a sense. Um, So, I learned a lot in that year uh, about Ruby on Rails and later about React. And then I started going to university. And when I started university, that was I think two years, about one and a half year ago. Uh, I started going to parties and doing student things and drinking beer, but I didn't build anything anymore. And that's when I started thinking, okay, let's, let's do something again. Let's start being more productive. And that's when Code Sandbox came along.
0: That's interesting that you had a, uh, you know, this idea to start being more productive when you were in the middle of partying and drinking <laughs> with your friends. I'd yeah. say that's, that's, that's not a thought that usually crosses the minds of most 20 somethings when they're out, uh, partying with their friends. So what, what could you give us a little bit more insight? What, what, what were you, what was, were you looking for, you know, a way to, I mean, code, code sandbox specifically is, is an online editor, right? There are a lot of ways that you could have been a little bit more productive. So how did you settle on the idea for Code Sandbox specifically? How did you decide, oh, you know, I should make a code editor for the, for the browser?
1: Yeah, well, I didn't really think to build a code editor for the browser at the beginning. I thought much simpler. But I was, um, right before university, I was on a vacation to a city, a village called Sint-Ives. And we went there because my name was in it. It's pretty interesting. Um, and I was still working full time for KataWiki then, and we were converting our Ruby on Rails pages to React. And I didn't have my MacBook with me, but part of the team, some people of the team, started asking questions about React specifically, or about the implementation of React in Ruby on Rails. And I didn't really have a way to answer them. I just had to like read their code, but had no way to evaluate the code. And That's when i started thinking that it would be really cool to have like a simple online editor in the browser that has support for npm and multiple files so you can just get part of the application out there and that's when the idea came along but i never thought of building it i just thought of um, making it very simple just a component builder for react at the beginning and as i started building a very basic editor with uh, just a code editor on the left and a preview on the right and one file support. I started adding more and more during the lectures. And that was when it started getting a bit too big. And, that's, and I started thinking, oh, maybe, maybe we can actually release this. So that's what we did in April about a year ago.
0: Awesome. So you started out, you said, with just a little file browser on the left, a little uh, preview on the right or a code editor, sorry, on the left preview on the right. You said you you started with this idea of, um, you know, making it really easy to just include stuff from NPM, which is an idea that you probably know is super interesting to me as well. Um but it's not something that you know cuz uh, just from my experience building unpackage but it's it's not something that i've found that a lot of the online code editors uh, have typically done you know like it's um, it's uh, you know npm only in 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 a, just sort of the past recent couple of years has has really started focusing on on front end code front end client side code Um, But that's something that, you know, for me, I guess, as a JavaScript developer and for you, obviously, too, uh, was something that was kind of obvious. And I I think it's something that the React ecosystem really nailed, right, is they said, hey, look, we're just going to publish React to NPM. We don't have to solve this uh, story of how are people going to get dependencies and how are people going to, you know, publish Libraries, you know, React libraries. We're all just going to publish stuff to npm, you know. So it's cool to see that uh, that you started with that idea because I think that was a I think that was a great idea, and it's something that you know the the npm integration in Code Sandbox is something that I really think sets it apart from from a lot of the other editors out there.
1: Yeah, at the beginning I thought that it would be like impossible to have npm support because if you like if you look at an average average project, then Node modules can be like 700 megabytes and then you have to put this in the browser so it would take 700 megabytes of memory as well and people would have to download 700 megabytes. So at the beginning I dismissed the idea of having NPM support and marked it as impossible. But then I saw some uh, other editor, bin, and saw that they actually had NPM support and I started getting more interested in the idea of NPM support. So. I started building a basic implementation and it's actually possible. And now we have had four different implementations of NPM support because it's pretty hard to build, but nowadays it's working. The, the trick is that a node module like an NPM library has like a lot of files, but they only use a small amount of the files. So at the beginning we just go through the files to hold dependency graph and only include the files that are actually used in the dependency and then you can get like less size
0: I noticed that a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, it seems like maybe two or three months ago, you had a live screencast where you were actually building an in-browser npm client. I guess we could say, or <laughs> or, or module loader. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you said it's a difficult problem, but you sat down and, and you coded the whole thing in maybe I don't know what thirty or forty-five minutes.
1: Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Like what I was building is what you could call like Webpack, but then in the browser, it was super simple. So the goal was that you could write code uh, with multiple files and that it would just execute the code. So if you had, for example, five different files, then give it to that bundler that's in the browser and then it would execute those five files. It would check all require statements. It would transpile all code. And that part, when you figure it out, is actually pretty simple because Mm -hmm. When you transpile code, you can you get require functions, and you would just stop the require functions and get the new code with that, those require functions. So that part of the bundler was, it's very basic, and it's very simple to build. That's why I encourage everyone to try it, because it's a lot of fun to build something like that. But when you have NPM dependencies, then you suddenly inc- include like thousands of different new files. And Bringing this to the browser in an efficient way was quite challenging.
0: Interesting, because this is something that I've actually, and I think you and I have actually ha- kind of kind of hinted at this discussion at least a few times. It's something that I would like to actually build for Unpackage, and and I'm actually just curious from the perspective of uh, of Unpackage. Is this something that? So you know, how do you make that? Efficient, I guess, loading uh, loading a bunch of files from from npm or, or what were what were some of the challenges that you found in uh, in getting that to work uh, properly?
1: What we have is kind of an algorithm. It's not really an algorithm, but we have some logic in uh, in a serverless function that determines which files gets added. So first, it checks the main module, the entry point of the dependency, and then it parses the, all the require statements and it includes includes the files that are required by that file and it does this recursively so it includes all the files that are used by the main entry point and after that it does a second round it checks for more files that could maybe be added since we have es modules there are like maybe multiple entry points so we also check for those and we have some extra logic that removes, for example, test files. We, te- we check the file name for if is this a test file or we remove UMD files because we bundle them ourselves. And it's not perfect. We don't, it's not that we always get the perfect dependency graph, but when a file is missing in the browser, we actually download it dynamically from Unpackage. Oh, no way. Yeah, 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 it's, uh, we're using Unpackage quite for a nice. lot of things, especially the meta feature. That one is very important because when we are missing a file then we need, uh, the meta feature is by the way something from unpackage where you get the list of directories and files that are inside a dependency. And we need this list to resolve. Um, for example if you resolve a file from a dependency then we need this list to actually know which file is being resolved because Node has a bit of an advanced system in resolving how files are
0: resolved the uh that meta feature is super handy and and in particular figuring out all of the nuances and how node resolves things especially like based on the package json now there are like there's like main and there's (laughs) module and there's js next main and uh there there are a lot a lot of things in there so anyway that's that's cool so our work is overlapped in in some areas that's really awesome um, all right, so I, 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 you know, this is a React podcast. Gosh darn it! So let's talk about some, let's talk about some React. I have a tendency to like talk about all this stuff that isn't actually React on this podcast. I need to, I need to figure out. Uh, ho- hopefully, it's still interesting to people who are who are still interested in React. So, um, so okay, so so Code Sandbox. So you've got this really cool way to uh, include npm modules. Uh, you're resolving them uh, sort of dynamically in the browser using Unpackage to uh, fetch the files that are missing. Um and uh and so you know you've you've built this thing and uh from what I can see it's going pretty well it seems like you guys are getting quite a bit of traffic at code sandbox these days
1: Yeah absolutely it's uh, been crazy the past few months In the past 3 months we've had 25% growth in unique visitors each month and right now we have about 480,000 uh, unique visitors each month
0: Oh wow that's insane uh, wh- where are you hosting Code Sandbox? You said it's. It, did you say it's a serverless architecture? Are you hosting it? Are you hosted on AWS?
1: Part of it, is it. It is serverless. Like the npm functionality is all serverless. But we're now hosting everything on Google Cloud Platform in a Kubernetes cluster. Um, about two months ago, we were still on a forty dollar VPS somewhere in Amsterdam. But <laughs> as our traffic grew, we decided to move to Kubernetes, and um, it has helped. It's just that we get a lot of API requests and requests for uh, static data, but we have a CDN, so the servers are not very strained because everything is executed in the browser.
0: And so you can and you can cache a lot of that stuff pretty heavily.
1: Oh yeah, we use heavy caches.
0: Okay, so uh, so you made the jump to um, Kubernetes and to Google Cloud. I remember there was you were on Twitter when you were doing that, and because I was saying, "Oh, I need to jump." So, little little secret about Unpackage is that the origin servers for Unpackage are actually still running on Heroku. Ah, <laughs> I know. Um, I, 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 I'm gonna fix that. <laughs> I'm gonna change that um, very very soon. Um, so we're actually we're actually moving to Google Cloud Platform as well. But I mean, that's I guess that's how you launch and like. Get something out there, right? You launch, you get it out there, and then it's proven that oh, it works. So we should probably, um, and in our case, we can cache so much stuff that like, or it doesn't really matter what our origin server is, is doing. So, but you you were describing an issue. I can't remember exactly what it was though. It it seemed like you were getting. You were getting DDoSed a while back. Was the the CDN able to help you with that? In the end, the
1: CDN was able to help us. We're using Cloudflare. We were suddenly getting DDoS attacks on our API endpoints, and we weren't able to trace the DDoS attacks. And it was pretty crazy. It's like, um, I think we got, I'm not sure how many requests, but we got, I think, 20,000 in a minute or something. I'm not sure if that's, uh, but... We enabled rate limiting, and we also optimized the server because the server actually sent out, when we got a 404, it sent out this report to Sentry, which took a lot of strain on the server, and it's really stupid, but when we removed it, our server went down to like 20% CPU usage or something, or 10%, and with rate limiting, we fixed it, but it was super frustrating because um, it was in the middle of the night. It, the DDoS started at 2 a.m. And luckily I was awake, but I wasn't able to sleep till like 5 or 6 6 a.m. because I wasn't sure if another DDoS attack would happen. It was in burst, so the first one was on the first day, and then two days later they start started DDoSing again. Oh. Yeah, it's super frustrating when they do that. And I think they do it for fun or something.
0: Well, so, but that was, uh, I'm sure for you, a huge learning and growing experience, right? I mean, if you're going to have, it seems like if you're going to build anything big on, on the web today, you're going to have to deal with this eventually, sooner or later.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we when I was building for Kettle Wiki, it was far less prone to... Attacks. I think when you when you build something when you build something on an auction website, you still have many Different sites on which you can be attacked but on code sandbox you have so many ways for people to input code and fork and I think it's It's a tricky thing to build codes and at the beginning I I didn't really want to release code sandbox with the fear that things like this would happen.
0: I think what you just said is it's a tricky thing to build Code Sandbox, I think is the understatement of the the day. (laughs) 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 Because when I look at Code Sandbox, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. I would say it's a very, very tricky thing to launch a website like that.
1: Yeah, the trick is it's like, it's super, at the beginning when Code Sandbox was released, it was super simple and I never intended to build Code Sandbox and even if I would get the assignment today to build a code sandbox i would just not build it but because it's so simple and because i was really pragmatic and in some way i cut off edges so i built something as fast as possible and code sandbox the client for example released without tests when we deployed it at first because i just wanted to make a very simple prototype, an MVP, and just put it out there and see what people thought of it. And only after that, we started rewriting things to make it more robust. And still now we have some rough edges, but we rewrite things all the time because we just first release it very simple. And then if it's interesting, we start building and advanced on it.
0: I think there's a a lot to learn there about just building and launching a software product in general, right? Just... Don't try and plan too much at the beginning. Just build something and um, and get it out there as quickly as you can. And if people use it, like if it really is useful, people will use it and and then if they do, then then you're sort of forced to work on it right? Because oh, it's it's useful. like I can see that, people like this, I should probably take this further, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, it's in February, I actually stopped working on Code Sandbox. I, I stopped getting interested in it. And because I was working on it every day, it didn't really look that impressive to me. It started to look like a project that I've, a hobby project that I've had. Only when I started showing it to students a couple months later, they were very impressed. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm actually onto something. And I gave myself one week to just finish everything off. Uh, Finish everything and if there were features unfinished then I would just remove those features and Then I deployed code sandbox and it was actually much more uh, Used than I expected it's and it was super cool I was I was living on these highs of people using code sandbox and it was popular on reddit and I was very happy
0: so, uh, so you decided to build Code Sandbox in React. Um, did, had you used anything like any sort of web frameworks prior? Because I know you were, you know, as you said, as we've already said, you were a student when you started to build Code Sandbox. Did you did you have any other experience in any other kind of web frameworks, or was there a reason that you chose React, or was it just kind of like the first thing that you that you came to?
1: At Gatoiki, we started moving stuff to React, and that was mostly because. My boss, the CTO of Catawiki, he said to me... I was super interested in Angular. And he said to me, ooh, you should take a look at React. So I <laughs> used my whole summer vacation to learn like React and all these different Flux libraries because there were, were like eight of them at the time. And
0: oh,
1: yes. Yeah, <laughs> those times. and it was, The Flux wars. Yeah, the Flux wars. And it was... Um, I was get I was I was becoming the React fanboy actually at work. I was called the React fanboy, which is not a very good title to have, I guess. But um, I was getting more advanced at React and I thought Code Sandbox should be built in React. That's the most the most complicated part should be built in something that I know, and the other parts of Code Sandbox are built in languages that i didn't know at the time it was kind of my learning project for me
0: is a lot of the back-end javascript is it node or, or something else yeah,
1: that's interesting the back is in elixir and phoenix so that was my Ooh. learning project part i had to rewrite it three times because at the beginning i didn't get the concept of functional programming so i started i i think i did a really bad job at the beginning with the server But now now it's pretty okay, I guess.
0: That sounds awesome. uh, Elixir is something that I've been meaning to take a closer look at for a a while now. I've got quite a few friends who do it. So you you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, it's um, very clean. That's the cool thing. Once you use the concepts, it's super clean when you write a nice implementation. And it's also, Elixir is perfect when you receive many messages at the same time. It's mm-hmm. for example, we have code sandbox uh, live feature, which is that you can do live coding at the same time and also see it live updating like Google Docs. And that one would be very straining for a lot of servers, but our Elixir server handles it very well. It can handle multiple live sessions with, we tested it with, with like 50 people at the same time and it. Didn't really strain, so that's very
0: cool. I I need to look further into that. I need to look further into some Elixir stuff. That sounds really really cool. Um, so so let's talk a little bit about. Uh, you know, is there anything that you kind of you know learned about React? I mean, because it's one thing to use React, uh, you know, on a small project, but Code Sand Code Sandbox is a a fairly large project. Is there anything that you kind of uh, learned along the way that maybe you didn't anticipate something that surprised you, um, something that you, that you learned or a, or a technique that you played with and you thought, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's, I'm, I'm so glad I built this in react because if I wasn't building it in react, this feature, you know, I would have had to do it differently. Is there anything like that that you could share with us?
1: So when I built biggest part of the application, I had never used code splitting before. And oh. Yeah, that's that's a big one, and we now make heavy use of it, like all the transpilers and uh, um, extra logic, like pretify, is all code splitted away. But before that, I didn't really know it, and especially the interesting part is um, code splitting on routes. That was something that we that I have never done before, and I always had the question: if you are building a big web application. Wouldn't it get too big when you get like the whole application at the beginning for the user and then code splitting came along with uh, Code splitting based on routes and I learned a lot about that part of the react uh, Ecosystem and that was also react fit very well with the code splitting part that you could just load a component like it's a network request and then start rendering it and that's really cool
0: yeah that was one of the biggest uh things that we were thinking about when if with the design of react router 4 when we when we made the routes a component it was like look code splitting a react router app is identical to code splitting any other react app because react router is just components so if you can if you can code split other components, you know, an app built in regular components, then you can code split a reactor outer
1: app. Yeah, and that's really smart.
0: Yeah, that was one thing that uh, I, I'll never forget when Dan Abramov showed up on the issue tracker and he's like, how can I code split? Or no, his was hot reloading. I forget who showed up and it was asking about code splitting, but it was kind of like, oh, code splitting. Uh, I'm not sure how to, <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that. Well, cool. So, um, so let's talk a little bit maybe about the future. You know, I mean, Code Sandbox is taking off. It's it's obviously one of the most popular, um, you know, React apps out there that I think. And and the whole thing is open source, isn't it?
1: Yeah, except for the server. The server is still closed source because we wanted to keep options open when we release Code Sandbox.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's good too to uh, stop people from uh, trying to hack your server too. What's going on there? <laughs> um, so, so okay. So, so Code Sandbox, uh, the client, is completely open source. Probably one of the largest, most popular, uh, you know, React products that's out there for the community. Uh, where is it going from here? I mean, it seems like the type of thing that could that could really have some legs if you wanted to, you know, turn it into a business. Right now you offer everything completely free, right?
1: Oh, no, we have some we have some uh, premium part of Code Sandbox. It's called Code Sandbox Patron. And ah. if you become a Code Sandbox Patron, which is uh, paying $5 a month or more if you'd like, in a kind of donation way, then you can create private sandboxes and others cannot see private sandboxes of yours or, or unlisted ones. And you can use the Code Sandbox Live feature, uh, so you can have the Google Docs collaboration uh, using that. And you also get more static file hosting storage, and you can create more than 50 sandboxes. But we kind of... I'm still thinking of this, because I think it would make more sense to let the companies pay for Code Sandbox instead of the developers. So for the past few months especially since we had code sandbox live there are a lot of companies that want to use code sandbox with organizations and with teams and we're trying to find a way to move the model to letting companies pay that they can get a uh, for example a license and then they can have like for example eight people on the license and then they get an organization and people can all the sandboxes of the organization are editable by all people in that organization, and they get live editing automatically. I,
0: th- I think that I think that's incredibly smart. That would be really, really popular. That one, one thing I've learned is, uh, you know, in sales, is uh, if you can sell to a company, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit easier than than talking to an individual and saying, hey, you know, we'd like you to pay for something. But lots of times, companies they have budgets, so like, sure, just throw it into the budget. <laughs> yeah, um, it's something I've learned about sales in general is just like think about. Think about who, uh, you know, who, who is like, what, what budget is this coming from? You know who is the person who has to say yes or no based on on the sales proposition, and if if it's an individual, it's it's going to be like very much an individual decision. But if it's a if it's a company or if it's like a group within a company and they've already got budget for it, it's a lot easier. That's interesting. But anyway, I think that's a ve- I think that's a very smart model that you're uh, that you're considering there, and and best of luck, uh, best of luck with that.
1: And it's also with the taxes, we now have to do all the taxes for the people, and it's so much work. <laughs>
0: Taxes. Oh, geez. Isn't there somewhere you can host it where you don't have to pay taxes? Maybe you could like go to, I know that in Washington, in the state of Washington here in the United States, they don't pay income tax. Maybe you could just move everything there. Oh, interesting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There's no <laughs> place. You, you, maybe I don't know. Maybe Antarctica. They don't pay taxes. Maybe you could set up some servers. We there. can
1: maybe move there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've got to. You've got to do all that like official business stuff. <laughs> you have to. You have to make it official. Right. right? You're like, I just wanted to write code, and what? Uh, what? What? Taxes? Okay, fine. Yeah,
1: we'll actually, tax. that's the thing. Now that CodeSandbox is so much more popular, there. I'm getting so many different emails, not from people that are using code sandbox with questions, but also from companies that want to set up a meeting. And nowadays I have oh. so many meetings on a day that I, sometimes it's a bit frustrating that I'm not able to code anymore.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's the struggle of, I feel like in our in, in our industry, like the, the successful entrepreneur engineer, like sooner or later, they don't have time to write code anymore, which is why they got into it for the in the first place you know i just saw i just saw a tweet from uh, one of my friends spike brem who was uh, an uh, engineer at airbnb for a long time and he said something like yeah you know i, I i'm it was it was something similar like i don't really get to be in my editor very much anymore, (laughs) which I was kind of like, Oh yeah. I've, you know, I've felt that too in my, in my company as well. Like a lot of, a lot of the work that I do these days is like email and meetings and stuff. And, but it always feels good to get back into the editor because it's like, you have like a finite problem space and you've got your tools and it's like, I'm just going to go to work and I'm going to solve this thing. And there aren't so many like variables or unknowns or things out of your control, you know, like you can either fix it or, or you might need to learn something before you can fix it, but you can usually get there. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, it's not like this weird thing where you're like, oh, I'm sending an email and maybe this person will like it and maybe they won't. And maybe this deal will go through and maybe it won't, or I have to convince this other person of something. I don't know. It, fe- it feels like it's more under your control when you're, when you're writing code.
1: Yeah. It's like throwing yourself at the code. That's so nice. But you only get yeah. to do that if you have, if you can block out four hours to code, then you can get in a zone.
0: Exactly. Exactly. My, uh, you know, it's funny about that. You say four hours. My, I got my wife a watch yesterday for mother's day and it like beeps at her if she hasn't if she hasn't gotten up and walked around for like 35 minutes oh, no. or 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and i and i was like a, a developer would hate to watch like <laughs> because i'm like just getting into it after 30 minutes and then this thing is like beeping at me and telling me to go stand up and walk around outside like i need at least a couple more hours yeah, exactly. to get a break. <laughs> well cool. Well that that is very exciting to hear uh you know just how well code sandbox is going for you um You know, just everything that, uh, everything that you've shared with us today, I think is, is super awesome. I just have one last question and it is, uh, the same question that I ask to most people who come onto this show, but if there is anybody or any library that you want to kind of give a shout out to any person, uh, in the ecosystem that you think maybe we should be having on this show um, something that you think other people maybe don't know about, but it's really cool and you'd like to bring attention to it. Anything like that?
1: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So when I started building CodeSandbox, when, uh, when we deployed CodeSandbox, I met up with Christian Alfoni, and he's the author of Cerebral and of WebpackBin. Um, we started working together, and he's now one of the biggest contributors to CodeSandbox because he rewrote our whole state management from Redux to Cerebral, in combination with MobX. And it's so much better because, well, it's it's also partly my fault because I set up Redux in a very inefficient way for code sandbox. But we now have, when you, for example, have one property changing, only the components that use that property update. And it does that for free. There is no configuration at all. And that's super cool. So I would, like to give a shout out to Cristino Foni and Cerebral.
0: Yeah, I saw the Cerebral project. Yeah, it kind of felt like an, you know an alternative, obviously to to Redux. But it reminded me. Did you ever hear about a thing called Cortex? A long time ago. Nope. There was yeah. There's something called court. Anyway, in English, Cerebral and Cortex. Well, I don't know. Maybe they don't have this. Anyway. <laughs> maybe they don't have this. They both have something to do with your brain, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but anyway, they, uh, they, uh, anyway, the, his library kind of reminded me of that, but it was, it was kind of a central kind of like, this is the brain for your app. But anyway, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta check out Cerebral, uh, a little bit, a little bit more. And maybe I'll ping Christian and we'll see if he wants to come on the show and talk to us about it. I think that would be really cool. All right. Well, Hayes, thank you so much again for, uh, coming on the show. I'm definitely going to have to, uh, have to look into a couple of these things you've been talking to me about um i actually i've been creating a little to-do list over here which basically is like do everything on unpackage that evis has been doing with (laughs) codes with code code sandbox well i can help with that hey let's let's definitely do it let's definitely get together and do it because i i i would love it i'm currently like just so stoked on uh on everything that you're doing so thanks again for coming on to the show yep thank you for and uh yeah no, no worries we will see you again uh I, you know we'll see you again soon and thank you for listening to the podcast uh we'll see you again next week